You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And bringing you tonight's episode is Himalaya. You can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcast and app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. Frank, you you handled the post-game pod all by yourself, handled that uh, just fine th- last night. Uh, was it a was it a celebratory tone? I, w- I was up writing. I didn't get to listen today because uh, in this series we're just going every other day, which is nice. I, I do like it. Um, I mean, maybe I wish I had like one extra day in Toronto just because I like being in Toronto. Um, but I'm okay with every other day. So I, I got right back to work today. Went to Bucks practice. Uh, what what was the the tone of of the pod? Celebratory, cautious? Like what what were you thinking? Oh, miserable! Yeah, really pissed off, miserable, <laughs> um, very jaded, very pessimistic. <laughs> um, I mean, I would say relief. I mean, you know, people sure. who listen to our podcast regularly probably would not be surprised, given kind of my my personality and sort of. Uh, you know, paranoia that, that still kind of is hanging over me. And to be honest, at this point, it's not really so much, I don't know if it would be paranoia so much as just like, it's not like I'm expecting the something bad to happen because I don't believe in the bucks. It's more, and, and to be clear, I'm not like, you know, I picked the bucks to win the series. I'm, I think they, you know, well, you guys know how I feel about the, the opportunity this year, but that's why it's, it's really the anxiety of like, holy crap, the bucks, can win this series and they can win that series that comes after the one right now. I don't even want to say what it would represent, (laughs) Um, but they absolutely can. And this is, you know, by far the best opportunity that they've had in my lifetime. I I, I mean, I don't think it even compares to uh, the 2001 season where, you know, again, they were really good that year. They beat the Lakers twice in the regular season, but look, that was, you know, a 52 win team. They were not as talented as the Lakers. You know, they were, I think, a much more flawed team. I, I don't, again, like they, they kind of self-destructed the next year for, you know, reasons uh, that, that are too numerous to, to discuss here. But <laughs> um, but look, th- this team is the best Bucks team of, of my fan lifetime, which spans from the early 90s to now. Um, and, you know, especially with kind of just the way the rest of the league looks, I mean, they have the best record in the goddamn league. They've been the best team in the playoffs. The Warriors are maybe going to miss Kevin Durant if they make the finals, which, you know, again, I would assume they do. So, you know, things are just lined up in a way that obviously expectations, I think, are understandably sky high and they are deservedly sky high. Um, but, man, it's one game at a time. And these series are long and beating a t- any team four times 
Uh, you know, even when it was the Pistons or the Celtics, which neither of those series took very long. Um, you know, it's still a really incremental thing. You, you know, you really have to do it night in, night out. You, you can't show up half the time. You can't mail in games. I mean, again, I, I, I've said it a lot, but the, the, the NBA playoffs are, are just a series of small samples. And, um, if you have a crappy, you know, few games in a seven game sample, you're, you're probably going to lose that series and you're going to be done. And so, um, you know, I think it was interesting reading kind of like the different perspectives as I was reading a little bit of like, kind of like the Raptor sort of perspective and, you know, like the Raptor perspective, you know, I think, I think the dominant narrative has been, wow, the Raptors really blew that game. That was their chance. They wasted Kyle Lowry's huge night. You know, their chances of recovering from that are very slim, relatively speaking. Or got you know their, their opportunity to to win the series really narrowed greatly by not taking advantage of that opportunity, and I think that's you know a narrative I can I can buy into for sure. Um, but you know it's also interesting reading Raptors fans saying like, well, you know, well, how Brook Lopez isn't going to do that every night, you know. Um, even though I should note, if you look at their regular season like per minute scoring, this was like more again Lowry played more minutes, but. Um, this was more of an outlier scoring game for Kyle Lowry than it was for, for Brooke Lopez. Um, mm-hmm. Lopez actually averaged more points per 36 than, than Lowry did this season. So, you know, and again, especially when you factor in just the ridiculous efficiency that Lowry had, I mean, Lopez took 21 shots for 29 points, Lowry 30 points on 15 shots. Um, yeah. I mean, that was, that was the Kyle Lowry game, right? I mean, uh, yep. it's, it's going to be tough for him to put together another game like that. And, um, you know, again, I, I think I, I was nervous about, you know, do the Raptors role players figure something out? I mean, they're better than they have been against Philadelphia. And uh, certainly early on last night, it looked like they they might be onto something. But uh, I think thankfully for the Bucks, you know, and, and give credit, a lot of credit to the Bucks defense as well. But uh, they were really able to contain not just Kawhi, who obviously was, you know, pretty good, but, but really um really kind of tailed off in, in the fourth quarter in particular. Uh, but they were once again able to make sure that, you know, those, those other guys really, really didn't hurt you. I mean, other than uh, Lowry, there was really nobody who kind of really stood out as having a really good game. So, you know, again, like there's enough talent on both these teams that you can just sort of like go back and forth and say, well, that guy played really well, but that guy didn't play well at all. So <laughs> eh, like who got lucky, you know, I mean, I think certainly from a shooting standpoint, Bucks normally would, um, I, I think I saw one tweet, I forget who tweeted out, but you know, some, some, something that basically if the Bucks had sort of shot their usual numbers and the Raptors had shot their usual numbers from three, then the Bucks would have won by 20 or something like that. So certainly the Bucks poor shooting was a, a big part of the narrative and, you know, make you feel even better. But, you know, I mean, the Bucks, you know, it's, it could happen again. Right. And so obviously uh, you just hope they can kind of keep these things going. Uh, and again, this is a better team than we saw in Boston. So, um, I'd, I'm, I'd say it's pretty tough to, to sweep the Toronto Raptors, but you know, you just sort of take it game by game. And, um, obviously, especially any home game, you, those are the games you really need to win. And, and thankfully they, they took care of business after really not having to play a game as close as that all, all playoffs. I, I gotta say, like I was just, so going into the game last night, obviously I picked bucks in five, right? Um, so uh, I was already like kind of there and then uh former member of the pod before it was locked on bucks when it was the brew who pod, uh, Steve Von Horn, uh, shout out to Steve. I got to 
um, meet him in Boston before one of the games. I don't even know if I told you that. Um, before game four, I got to actually meet Steve and not just see him on the other end of, uh, of a Skype conversation. I actually got to like see him in human form, which is weird. I'd never done that before. Uh, so shout, a real out to, shout out to real human Steve Von Horn. Yeah. I've done that as well a few times. <laughs> and his daughter, uh, shout out to his daughter Sophie. as well. They yeah. took, they took in game four. So that good luck charm for the night, uh, for the bucks. But Steve tweeted out this and he said, are there any bucks Raptors series previews that attempt to game out how the Raptors would win the series? And I, I like read that tweet literally as I was walking uh, up to my seat, like up the stairs, of my seat. And I was just like, I don't know that I've seen that. I've seen people pick the Raptors, but I, I didn't really ever, like ever see how, like I, I didn't see a, like a really good preview that like explained to me like, okay, these are the ways in which the Raptors will win this series. It, it was like, you know, they could get it close and then, you know, maybe steal some games or, you know, here's how the, the, the Raptors can, you know, force seven games or whatever it was. And like that kind of stuck with me throughout the game. And then just as you watched it, like I think I saw like a bunch of that. And I, I know going into the fourth quarter, I, I was just kind of thinking like, okay, well, you know, Leonard's had 29 on 23 shots, which really isn't bad. Uh, like you can, you can probably live with, with that efficiency uh, with him. The, the Bucks gave up a bunch of free throws to him in the third quarter. And it was like, okay, well you can't do that again. And, you know, Lowry was on fire and it was like, okay, well, you know, maybe that will come to an end. And it was like, well, if it does come to an end, like who's stepping up for the Raptors and like the, the rest of the team just wasn't really doing anything. And then obviously Lowry keeps it up for the fourth quarter but Leonard only, I think, goes 0 for 3, two free throws for him. And everyone else, I think, goes 0 for 12 on the on the Raptors. 0 for 15 uh, was everyone outside Wait, of Kyle Lowry. And it was like... Didn't Leonard hit that, like, he, when he missed that shot and then he got the ball bounce right back to him? Wasn't that in the fourth quarter? Am I going crazy? No. What, I saw that. It wasn't in the fourth. That was in the, that was in the third quarter? Yes. Okay. Because I was gonna say I, saw, I kept seeing that 0 for 15 stat, and I was just like, "Wait, was that really? Mm-hmm. Is that did that really happen in the in not in the fourth quarter? Okay, yeah, that must have been his last basket, I guess, probably. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so yeah, like in my head, I like thought through that fourth quarter, and I was like, "Man, that's, I mean, that's like outlier kind of stuff." But then in my head, I was like trying to think through for the Raptors. I was, I was like, "Okay, like what's the biggest part of that outlier?" Was it that Kyle Lowry was hitting all those shots, or was it that everyone else was missing all those shots? Because it was, like Kyle Lowry was just unbelievable. Like he was he was doing like a Steph Curry impression. Like he was that good in the fourth quarter. And you know at the end of the, at the end of the night he's seven for nine from the three point line. Like I mean that's pretty outliery. And then you know like you you look through the Bucks and it's like okay so Brook is an outlierish night, right? But to me, the the from two point from two point range correct. is outlierish. The, yeah, f- yeah. the four for eleven is not an outlier. Right. Like that is that. I mean, that's not a, that's nowhere close to an outlier shooting night for Brook Lopez. Like he's had better ones. The outlier stuff was like the hustle points and the offensive rebounds and the tap-ins. and it was like, well, okay, those are things that the the Raptors can control, right? Like they could 
box them out better. They can keep them off the glass a little bit better. So it's like, okay, well, that is. And then you go through the rest of the Bucks roster, and it's like, well, is the next biggest outlier, like, Giannis going 7 of 16? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I was trying to go through all of it, and it was just like, okay, well, I, I guess throw out the entire one-game sample. But then at the same time, in my head, it was like, okay, so if if everything goes right for the Raptors, like if the Raptors just have a good night, like how is their good night beating a good night for the Bucks? Like that's the part I, I really struggle seeing. And it, if anything, it made me feel more confident about my Bucks in five prediction, um, just because I, I really struggle to see where the the concrete advantages for the Raptors are. I, I mean, I, I my. I think the biggest thing to me that that looked lucky from from the Bucks perspective yesterday was uh, Siakam going whatever it was six out of twenty. I think, um, yeah. In part because I mean he destroyed the Bucks this year. I mean he averaged twenty four points a game. I think like sixty seven percent shooting or something absurd like that. Uh, and I think in my head too. I mean he had that that huge dunk where Ilyasova like for some reason, like shaded him too much to the baseline and just like yeah. gave him like a clear, like runway to dunk over Lopez. And then, um, Ursan kind of similarly got like abused by him, uh, on another play. Um, and which of course, like, I mean that I, I can remember us discussing earlier this year, specifically how Ursan against Pascal Siakam is going to be a problem in the playoffs. <laughs> and this is why you need DJ Wilson. Right. I mean, yeah. so maybe like my anxiety was like heightened by, by like those two specific plays. I'm not sure if he had any other buckets on Ursan specifically. Um, but I, I was kind of surprised how willing he was to pull up for like even mid range jump shots. There was like one mm-hmm. or two like that. Um, and I think he was Oh, for seven on corner threes, which seemed like he just killed the bucks on um, during the regular season, but just two out of nine, including that one, um, which, you know, seemed like a huge shot, right? That, that buzzer beater wow. at the end of the third Monsters. quarter. So, I mean, I would, I would be very surprised if Siakam shoots worse. He doesn't shoot a lot better than six out of twenty the rest of the way here, just because again he has found ways to to beat the Bucks. Um, and again, which is a little weird because I mean, if you if I didn't know anything about how he played against the Bucks this year, I would say, well, I mean, if Giannis is defending him, I kind of like your odds there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, probably if you could pick, you know, one guy in in a vacuum to to defend Pascal Siakam, I mean. Giannis is a pretty good op seems like a pretty good guy to do yeah. that. Right. Be just because of his, he's even longer and, and bigger than, than Pascal is and moves his feet and knows all that. Um, and obviously last night it, you know, that, that bore itself out, but we hadn't necessarily seen that throughout the regular season. So I think Siakam will be a lot better, but again, like you can obviously just say, well, okay, so Siakam will be better. Lowry is not going to be better than, than he was. He, you know, you expect him to be, um, noticeably more down to earth than, than what he was last night. So, um, so yeah, I mean, again, you can kind of do like the debits and credits on kind of both teams, <laughs> um, but certainly I think if you look at you know just in, in the kind of at a high level, um, you know, I think kind of to Steve's point, right? Like, you know, you just look at the season as a whole, or you look at you know the um, you know the, what's happened in the playoffs so far. I mean, the Bucks have kind of done everything you could have asked, other than you know really like one half against the Celtics. I mean, they were. 
basically the first half of the first game was really similar to the first half of most of the games in that Celtics series in terms of being very close. And then they just basically got killed in the third quarter and that was it. So other than that, the Bucks, I mean, they've won every other game. They were the best team in the regular season. They beat them three out of four times. Like there's not a lot to look at and say, well, you know, that's your argument. I think the the way that I feel like most people have talked themselves into the Raptors has been to say, and I think I mentioned this the other day, but it's to say, well, they were right there with the Bucks in the East and they rested Kawhi 22 games mm-hmm. and Lowry was hurt a bunch of games. And so, you know, they were able to win almost as many games while really not having their full strength team. Um, but I think the kind of flip side to that is, well, again, as I mentioned previously, I mean, their record was also, I'd say, I don't want to say like a mirage or something like that. That's that's way too strong. But I mean, they were a better team by point differential last year. They weren't really close to the Bucks in terms of their uh, plus nine for the Bucks. So you know, expected record of six and twenty six uh, for for the Raptors. This being one of the Bucks expected record. And again, it's not like they were losing, you know, which is to their credit. They have depth, and I think Siakam in particular had a lot to do with that. But um, you know, we've kind of seen it like they they have not gotten really much of any contribution from role players in the playoffs. And um, you kind of just go up and down that roster. I think the Gasol trade hurt them a, you know, a little bit. They gave up, you know, not just a, a center in Valanciunas who would play, but, but also DeLon Wright uh, and, you know, Jeremy Lin, who they signed to sort of replace DeLon Wright doesn't play. I mean, he's, he's been out of the rotation entirely, which surprises me a little bit that he just completely washed out. Um, not that Jeremy Lin would, really scare me in this series or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think again, I think it's, it's sort of a maybe more muted version of what we saw last series in terms of like when people picked the Celtics, Sure, you know, the Celtics were the ultimate preseason pick and you, you know, keep picking them because you're looking for a, a reason and they looked, you know, they want, they swept the Pacers. So, okay, now I can finally justify my, my, you know, my belief in them six months ago. Um, and the Raptors I think are, more deserving of people believing in them because they were actually really good this year. Um, but again, I think it's maybe a little similar thing. And again, the the kind of, I think, Buck skepticism has obviously faded with every playoff series. Um, yep. But look, like everybody picked the Raptors to finish ahead of the Bucks this year, right? Everybody thought this roster was, you know, a great fit. You had a great team last year that you basically just swapped Kawhi in for DeRozan, more or less. Sign me up. That sounds great, you know? So I think... I think it's it's easy to kind of just again play that sort of off-season game and then talk yourself into like oh well now the Raptors cuz they rested their guys all year now this is when they're going <laughs> to you know really gel and and it's going to be their time to shine or something like that but um you know it's I mean again it's it's, it's obviously just one game in here but um even with the Bucks not playing their best uh you know they ultimately pull out a win and in true Bucks fashion a close game ends up really not being that close by the box score, right? I mean, this is what they did all year. Even if they were kind of close, they end up pulling away in the end and it ends up really not being that dramatic. Um, but uh, yeah, and here, let me, for, for posterity's sake, uh, let me, re- I've got the list of ESPN predictions. So everybody at ESPN who predicted this series. So the um, the people who will hopefully be on the right side of history, those who picked the Bucks. Um Malika Andrews, Zach Lowe, Tim McMahon, Jackie McMullen, Bobby Marks, Dave McManaman, Kevin Pelton, George Sedano, Mark Spears, Jesse Washington, and Royce Young. Uh, the people who picked the Raptors, uh, Jerry Bembry, no, who had no idea who that is. Uh, Tim Bontemps, Nick DePaul, Nick Friedel, of course, picking against the Bucks. Noted Bucks hater, Nick Friedel. 
uh, Andrew Hahn, <laughs> Baxter Holmes, and Ramona Shelburne, who also picked the Celtics last series as well. Ramona, uh, not distinguishing herself uh, so far with her Buck skepticism, but um, but anyway. So I mean, I think you know, again, like most people picking the Bucks, but but reasonably close. Um, and again, I like you said, I don't know if people have really good arguments other than Kawhi has looked great for the most part in the playoffs and the Raptors were really good this season. And uh, I just don't really want to believe in the bucks quite yet. I mean, that's, that's probably the argument at this point, which uh, like, I mean, I, I think I kind of get like, yeah, they're, they're... I don't think you're, I don't think you're an idiot for picking the Raptors, no. you know, like, like, yeah. I think it's, I don't think it's like really the most, I don't think it's like a logical pick for, as you said, like, it's not really, it's kind of hard to justify unless you're just playing kind of the gut feel. Like I just like the look, the glint in their eye or something type call. I mean, it's not like they look great against the the Sixers either. Um, But I don't know. It's, it's a little interesting. It feels like the takeaway from the Sixers series, even though both teams had some really not great performances, it was not like, you know, the two greatest teams in history going at each other when you look at sort of the game by game performances. But um, it seems like people kind of came out of that series, like higher on both teams than they kind of went in, which is sort of interesting to me. Um, Like, it seems like a lot of people like, Oh, actually the Sixers, you know, they should bring everybody back and they're, you know, they're better than (laughs) we thought they were, blah, blah, blah. While also not really taking any credit away from the Raptors, you know, given that they ultimately won the series, even though, I mean, literally it came down to, you know, those four bounces on the last play of, you know, a seven game series. And I, and I know we saw, or at least I saw our guy, uh, Matt Moore on Twitter, kind of getting into it with people before this Bucks series. And, you know, they were just like, well, you know, that Celtics team, you know, fell apart. The Bucks really haven't played anyone. And it was just like, Okay, so when did we make that decision? Like, because before that series, the Celtics were a real contender. Uh, they had figured it all out, and you know they were they 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 were gonna you know be the team that everyone thought they were in the preseason. But as soon as the Bucks throttled them, it was just like, well, you know, we knew all along that they were gonna fall apart. Like, you know, you just had to you know answer the call, and, and they were gonna do it. And you know, we talked about that in. You know, over the weekend where I, I mentioned like, well, okay, fine. You you do have to, you know, fall apart. And I'm not going to say that the Celtics didn't, but you got to do something to make them fall apart. Like they didn't fall apart after game one. They looked pretty, pretty together when they were throttling the Bucks, And then the Bucks like answered and, and actually, you know, made that happen. So uh, I don't know. It, it is, like I said, it I, it's tough for me to understand or you know really see anyone kind of present it logically other than you know i just don't trust the bucks yet and, and again like i said okay it's their first year like on the scene really doing stuff so i, I can kind of understand that but i do think it, it is really interesting and so i guess one thing i want to talk about is so uh, at the athletic last night after the game i wrote an article about the Bucks defense on Kawhi Leonard and, and how good it was. And um, uh, obviously like throughout the day, like different people saw it and eventually it got, it made its way to Raptors fans. And uh, you know, the headline chosen for it was how the Bucks locked down the Raptors and Kawhi Leonard in game one. And I, I don't write the headlines, but 
I think it's a fair headline when Kawhi Leonard takes three shots in the fourth quarter and only scores two points, which came on free throws. I don't think it's unfair to say that the Bucks like locked him down in that moment. And like, obviously a bunch of Raptors fans came back and were like, well, you know, they, uh, you know, he just missed open shots, open like all shots. this stuff. And it's it, 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 one, like where were those open shots? I, I would have loved to see them. But two, like if that was the case, he would have gone, 0 for 11 in the fourth quarter. Like, he would have gone 0 for 3. 0 for 3 suggests that he wasn't even getting good looks. Like, he wasn't even able to get those looks. And uh, to me, that, if you're, if you're trying to look for, when, when I was asked before the series, I, I did a series preview at The Athletic with Blake Murphy from The Athletic Toronto, and you know, he asked like, okay, what's your series like prediction or whatever. And, you know, I said bucks and five and if not five, then bucks and seven. And then finally Raptors and six, he'd, you know, you'd ask like, you know, what would happen if the Raptors were to win this series? And I said like, you know, we'd see something from Kawhi Leonard we haven't seen before where he's defending Giannis on one end capably. And then on the other end, he's, you know, just bullying through the the Bucks defense, and he's he's having more success than he had against them in the regular season. Like that would be to me the path to the Raptors winning this series. And you know, like just watching Game One, it, I was just impressed with with how hard Kawhi had to work for those forty two minutes and thirteen seconds he played. Like there was, I, I mean. He got the the dunk on that crappy pass from Middleton that got stolen and then tossed down to him. He got a dunk on that offensive rebound you mentioned before, like where he tapped it and then it got tapped or like touch passed to him for a dunk. And then he got a layup uh, when Middleton was top locking him and he back cut and there was no baseline help. So he got those three easy baskets. He got 10 free throws. So he gets 16 points there and, you know, like there's just, uh, there's just not easy ones for him. And that was kind of what I was talking about before the series is like Leonard is a, is a great shot maker. Like I'm not, I'm not going to try to take that away from him, but I think the the big key is always taking away easy ones from him. Like don't let him get a bunch at the free throw line and don't let him get a bunch of layups and dunks. And I, I was, I came away really impressed with how the Bucks defended him and how disciplined they were defending him. They just focused on taking away his right hand, not letting him go right. Uh, I was talking to Blake Murphy about it today. And apparently on the season, I think Synergy has Leonard as a 35% shooter on pull-ups going to his left, which is not great. Like that's, it's not a great percentage. And I, I would guess it's even lower when he takes step backs going that way. And the bucks forced him into a number of those. And it's just like, well, you know, if he's not getting to the free throw line, which I thought both Brogdon and Middleton did a great job, you know, keeping him from the line. He had 10 in 42 minutes. Like that's a pretty good rate. Um, so, you know, they kept him off the free throw line. And then I, like, I just don't, I don't know where there's easy ones. And then, on top of there just not being easy ones, like just catching the ball is difficult for him. Like both those guys are willing to deny him out till half court, like every touch he works for. And that, that just takes a toll. That's a lot. Like that that is really difficult to work for, for an entire game. Yeah. And I I mean, it just sort of, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I think game after game here, um, 
to see how how this sort of plays out over a whole series because obviously the Bucks want to take away his easy stuff and you know again he he is good enough that on a given night he can be an efficient scorer and and potentially beat you shooting mostly jump shots I mean that's just how good he's become as a shooter yeah. uh, and not that it's like a brand new thing but but like you know we've seen in the playoffs time again like he he's just like demoralizingly good uh, on those like mid-range shots uh, and obviously he can he can hurt you from three as well um, but yeah I, I think the question of well if you basically say we're going to take away the rim because we're going to put you know uh, Brooke Lopez in the paint and he's going to he you know again he's got to pay attention to Gasol somewhat but he's going to make the first priority walling off the rim and Kawhi obviously uh, the fact that he's not uh, a good playmaker I think certainly works in your favor from a Bucks perspective there because uh, whatever room you have to kind of move off of Gasol um it's it's heightened a little bit because Kawhi is less likely to be able to get him the ball or want to get him the ball than than he than you might other than you know a different player might be. Um, and it's kind of funny because it's like Kawhi is obviously a much more forceful player getting uh, to the rim than someone like Kawhi or so than someone like Kyrie. Um, but I, I kind of wonder, you know, are there going to be similar principles at play uh, in the sense that he's a deadly mid range shooter? Uh, and, you know, he can run a pick and pop with uh, a large big man who can shoot threes from the top of the key. Um, and we talked a little <laughs> bit how Gasol and Horford are different. Gasol's not not as willing to shoot, not as inclined offensively at this point than, than we've seen from Horford. But, um, but at least, you know, the outlines of playing that type of game and, and that type of pick and roll play is there for the Raptors. But uh, obviously, you know, they weren't quite able to really kind of cash that in the way maybe they would hope or maybe they would need to in order to, to beat the Bucks. So, um, yeah, I think certainly the, you know, again, 31 points on 10 out of 26 shooting. I mean, you'll, you'll definitely accept that as, as a result, one out of five from three, three turnovers. Um, you know, especially the way he's been playing, you live with that. And, um, I, I don't know as well. I know there was some talk about, you know, was he getting tired? He played 42 minutes. Obviously they played on Sunday, but I, I mean, like at this point, like is, is two days rest, not enough. Um, I, I think Nick nurse may have suggested they were tired, but to me, that just suggests that, that actually, that's a really good sign. If they're tired after two days rest, then, um, that means that they're it's, not it's able It's only to, getting worse from here. Yeah. Then they're, they're not, then maybe they're just not ready to play big, big minutes, which, um, I think if I was going to complain, the thing I'm like probably watching and, and ready to complain about if and when the Bucks lose, uh, is, is Giannis in particular not playing enough minutes. I mean, he was at 37 last night. So again, not that, not like he played 32 or 33, but, um, I think at this point it's like, we're now in like Giannis has got to play 40 every night type territory. Uh, and you know, again, uh, Ursan, I mean, Ursan ended up being okay. You know I mean? He hit three out of six shots. Um, a few rebounds, picked up a charge, uh, didn't commit any fouls, obviously didn't look good defending Siakam, and that's just going to hurt you. I think you really want him out there probably to match up with Gasol uh, or, or maybe Ibaka, since Ibaka is not really going to drive it to the hoop on him. But um, but yeah, I mean, again, anything anything you can do to squeeze minutes from you know bench players who are not George Hill and Malcolm Brogdon and put those minutes on on Giannis or or Chris Middleton for instance that to me is a very winning trade so uh I'm curious to kind of watch that as the series rolls on it but I think the part of the one the part of that that jumped out at me most was the fact that Bud rested Giannis in the fourth quarter um even though the game was so close that like I 
oh, man, like, I think he, did he rest like two or three minutes, like in the middle of that fourth quarter? I don't know. I, that made me very nervous. Obviously they, they overcame it, but, um, I would not have, I, I, I would just wouldn't do that. I, I know Giannis, whatever he, rest is good and he's used to that and that's his rhythm or whatever. But I mean, it's, it's the Eastern conference finals. Like I think the dude can play 12 straight minutes. 649 to 501 is the okay. rest that you are looking for there. Um, and the Bucks and then were, they had a timeout too, which was nice. So it, it kind of gave him a bigger, a bigger rest than, you know, he might have had otherwise if there weren't any of those stoppages too. Yeah. And I think that what they were minus one during that time, um, which I mean, isn't terrible, but then, I think they were minus three in the next little stretch there. Like Middleton was off the floor uh, during the next one. Like he got Giannis and then Middleton rest. And then once they both were back on the floor, it was a 10-0 run to close the game. Uh, So I think it would have been 198 with Chris still off and then Chris back on and they went 108 uh, to 100 to close it out. So um, I guess... Between game between games one and two, we typically talk adjustments, but I mean, I don't think there's a ton for this Bucks team to make. I think the one I tweeted about it today, uh, I was a little bit surprised that on post touches, like not not once the Bucks put it on the ground, but the moment they touched it, the or I shouldn't say they, but. Chris and Giannis, obviously the Bucks don't post up a lot, but they do post those two guys up when they get mismatches. The moment they touched the ball, Marcus Saul came on a double. And we saw Middleton the first time it happened, uh, backpedal a little bit and then eventually throw it off of Marcus Saul and just let the Bucks reset. And then uh, I think later in the second quarter, he saw the double coming and just choo-choo hopped on the tough shot express and uh took a step back over a double team and then we saw Giannis kind of dribble through a couple he broke one of them uh and i think either got a bucket or i think created a an open shot out of it that was something that surprised me and i think something that we'll see the bucks adjust out of the bucks just kind of space the floor anytime those doubles happen instead of uh having a cutter like sprint through the the middle of the lane, I think, which is probably their, I think your best option. Like that's what you're going to want to do is, you know, actually have come have someone sprint through the middle of the lane there. Um, but like, other than that, like what, what adjustment are you thinking? Like, it, is it Miritich not, st- uh, obviously Bud's already said that Miritich is going to start browning and soak him off the bench. Like, is it shrinking Miritich's minutes down even further and bumping Malcolm up a little bit? Like, is there even anything that you're thinking about for an adjustment or is it, well, you lost game one while we played this way. So beat us and then we'll adjust. I mean, I think from a shot quality standpoint, you know, I, I think again, like you, like the number we mentioned around, if the bucks hit, hit kind of their usual number of threes, they, they win this game probably pretty easily. So I think that makes you feel a lot better about, you know, what was otherwise, you know, numerically a, a below average night, uh, in terms of, of offensive rating overall. Um, I'd say, so I, again, I don't think there's like some wholesale change necessarily that you have to do. I think um, bumping up Giannis minutes. I mean, again, like it's an interesting question. I mean, the Bucks. I mean, there there were a number of articles today about the Bucks depth and how the Bucks are winning with depth and, and kind of that nice story and 
Pat Connaughton's been able to use the word bench, the phrase bench mob like a million times in the last week, you know, and, and, um, and that's great. You know, whatever. Personally, I have flashbacks whenever I hear the phrase bench mob to when Larry Kristoviak had like that, um, few weeks of hope that he inspired <laughs> in the, whatever that was, um, like yeah. 2006 or I don't even 2007. I don't even remember like when it was specifically, but, um, but you know, he, he kind of used the phrase bench mob. And I forget if they were, I don't remember if they were doing like line shift stuff. I don't, I don't even recall. Maybe they weren't doing that, but you know, that was like what he brought from the college game. It was like, Oh yeah, I love my bench to be a bench mob or whatever. And of course his team sucked. So, you know, it wasn't really a good narrative. Um, but, uh, fortunately the new and improved bench mob, uh, has, has earned it. Although ironically, I, I said last night, you know, for as awesome as Hill and Connaughton were in the Celtics series, uh, Offensively, at least, they did literally nothing, nothing yesterday in terms of scoring. But I mean, to Hill's yeah. credit, Hill's credit, four assists, four steals. You know, I didn't notice that he was 0 for 6 until like midway through the fourth quarter because, you know, like Bledsoe was just driving me nuts with some of his decision making and some of the shot selection. And, uh, you know, I was just, I was like, oh God, we've got, you know, 2018 versus the Celtics, <laughs> Eric Bledsoe again. Um, and Hill, I, I didn't really feel that about. Uh, and again, not that, not that Bledsoe, I don't, I don't like remember Bledsoe like making horrible mistakes defensively or something like that. But, um, but it was interesting just that both those guys sort of had like kind of a, you know, a meaner version game offensively between Hill and Connaughton. Um, but well, and that's why it's nice to have Malcolm Brogdon coming off the mm-hmm. bench because, oh, by the way, he's, you know, normally a starter and, and obviously he gave them a big boost. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if you can take some of those Giannis minutes or Urson minutes, 14 minutes, uh, and move him over to Giannis. I think that's going to give you. A, if I can make sure that Giannis is the guy uh, defending Pascal Siakam and not Ersan Ilyasova, I'll feel a lot better about my chances. <laughs> um, and you know, again, I think moving to a three-man big rotation. You know, last night Lopez played 35 minutes. That's probably the most he's going to play real, realistically. Um, Miritich played 25, so you know you could probably stretch him out a little bit. Um, but uh, again, part of the thing too is like the Bucks just have not had to really go small at all in in the playoffs. Um, you know, the smallest they get is playing basically two power forwards, and we've obviously seen them play three power forwards at times. So, um, so that's an interesting thing. But but again, I think this is also the part of the challenge. Like, I don't think you can go to a three man big rotation until Miritich is back on the bench because you're starting your best three <laughs> your yeah. best three big men. So. So that obviously makes it more challenging to kind of downsize Ersan's minutes. But, you know, again, in the aggregate, I, I think, you know, if you can get Brogdon back in the starting five, that's probably a positive. Although I think the flip side is, you know, again, easier to make sure that either Brogdon or Middleton is out there guarding guarding Kawhi if, if they're both starting. Although, you know, we do often see Brogdon get subbed early uh, when he was starting too. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's some huge, huge change you necessarily have to make. Um but I'm sure as the series goes on, I mean, we'll see different wrinkles from Nick Nurse. And, you know, I'm sure they'll probably have to think more about, you know, we, I, did you notice much switching last night? I, I should, I tried to rewatch the game today, but my stupid NBA app was not letting, was not recognizing my, uh, my league pass, which is just a whole different story. The crappiness of, of the NBA league pass app and all that stuff. But um, I, I didn't notice really the Bucks doing much switching, other than not like, particularly, but I also yeah. I was gonna say like other than like I mean, Giannis ended up getting switched onto Lowry a few times, and had two like terrific 
um, possessions against Lowry, one where he forced a, a double dribble, another where he had that block late. Um, but like those aren't necessarily like you know just straight up switch type situations or, or some sort of like overall strategy. Yeah, I was gonna say I think the big thing and why why switching is always so big against the Celtics is. I don't know if any team in the league runs more pick and rolls with guys one through four. Um, And I don't even know that I necessarily understand the Celtics offense. And obviously I think there's been questions about that in Boston as well, but they'll just like have like random, like here's a one, three pick and roll or a two, four pick and roll or a three, two pick and roll. Like whatever it may be, like they'll just, they'll just kind of do that. And, you know, that's that's a spot where if you're the Bucks, like you just switch. But for the most part, when when you see this Raptors team pick and roll, it's it's typically with a big um, and well, the Bucks aren't really going to switch that. And I mean, as long as Marcus all uh, the obviously the Raptors were really willing to shoot threes last night. Um, so, you know, that that might end up being a problem, especially in Toronto where, you know, at home teams tend to shoot just slightly better. Um, but no, for the most part, there, there really wasn't a, a whole lot of switching. And I guess that's going to be interesting to me as this series rolls on is uh, I, I tweeted something out to the effect of, you know, the Raptors shooting a bunch of threes in the first half and being willing to shoot these threes. And I had a bunch of people like, of course they're willing to shoot. They're wide open. And and it was just like, okay, so you didn't watch game seven against the Sixers where they were just passing up open looks. Like the reason I tweeted it and it was noteworthy was because they passed up a bunch of wide open looks in the last game that they had played. Like that's why it was noteworthy. Not because these are new shots that the Bucks defense are giving up. Like that's, that's been the case all year. And, uh, you know, how many, you know, Siakam was two for nine. Gasol was two for seven. Uh, you know, how many of those nights are, are they are they going to be cool with? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, at some point, you you get tired of missing shots and you you decide, all right, well, you know, i got to keep the ball moving or whatever it is. And, you know, I asked Nick Nurse about it pregame, and I thought he had a really interesting answer because – in the first, like in the regular season, I, I always ended up asking like a question about, "Hey, you're playing the Bucks tonight. You know, last time you played them, Baca took 21 shots or 19 shots or whatever it was. Like he get like he got shots up against the Bucks because of the drop coverage that they played. And you know, I asked like, you know, like how do you get your bigs in the right mindset to kind of take advantage of? of the Bucks defense. And obviously we've already talked about this during the season. Like those are shots that they're going to get. And he is like, well, you know, like we got to find the right balance and we got to know when, when it's the right time to take one and, you know, when it's the right time to move the ball and get a little bit better one. And like, I heard the answer and I was like, Ooh. And again, maybe it's just cause I'm around the Bucks so much where it's just like, let it fly. Everyone's got the green light. Like that's how you got to be. But in my head, it was just like, man, do you really want is – that, is that the message you're getting across to your bigs? Because they're going to be open. Like, if the Bucks play their base defense, they're going to be open, and they got to shoot those. And I was just kind of surprised to hear that 
you know, the talk of balance would even be a thing because I would think, you know, you're trying to give them as much confidence as possible. Like say, you guys are going to get a bunch of open looks. We want you to take them. Like this is, this is going to be a big series for you guys. And I, I don't know. It was just, I, I was not expecting him to say that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, we're, we're just one game in, I think, um, you know, like I said, these series seem to take forever. Um, you know, it's almost like, just like for me watching these as a fan, it's almost like climbing a mountain, you know, like you're always, uh, always worried, especially when you have a lead, um, you know, okay, don't drop one. How do you get to that clinching game? Get this over with, kill this team off. Don't give them life. Um, and obviously the bucks have, have done very well with that. I mean, again, just one bobble in in now 10 games, um, so I, I don't I don't know it, it, I'm I am interested though because last series just seemed so ripe for a lot of adjustments and I'm curious this series if it ends up just being a lot more subtle just because the teams kind of do already a little bit like what what they want to do or you know like there isn't some like kryptonite obvious kryptonite that the one team is going to have to kind of deal with um, so I don't know it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun series to kind of watch. And, and obviously um, I think the one thing I will, I will mention I, as I was thinking about the switching stuff, it did seem like, and I, I don't know if it was a reaction to Gasol being so willing to shoot some threes or what it was. It did seem like there were a few instances where the bucks on, on kind of, I think it was like one five pick and rolls did switch um, guards onto Gasol. And again, part of that's probably just because they're not worried about, you know, like Gasol, like going into a into the post from the the three point line, like you know, it's it's really just about mm-hmm. choking off his his options there. So I, I don't know, and and obviously part of the thing is too. I mean, if like if you do run like a um, a pick and roll like with Kawhi, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting question, right? Like with the with the Celtics, it was really all like these. You know, I mean, you mentioned they run a lot of different types of pick and rolls, but the one that really was the one you worried about was the one five with Kyrie and Horford. So you're, you know, basically having a, a point guard guarding Kyrie and a, you know, like Lopez in the extreme guarding Horford. Um, but like with the Bucks, you know, if it's uh, Middleton and Leonard against like Lopez and and uh, and uh, Gasol or one of the Bucks other bigs, I, I don't know. I mean, like I, I feel like I'd be a little less worried about that switch just because the guy guarding Kawhi is bigger than a point guard in the first place. And then the guy you're switching Kawhi is not like Kyrie in terms of quickness. Um, so even though he's obviously really mm-hmm. good, uh, I feel like you can still generally get him to probably a place you want. Now I don't want to switch Urson onto him, but certainly like Giannis fine. You know, even Miritich can probably move his feet well enough that he's not just going to get murdered. Um, but I don't know. It'll be just, uh, be some of those things i think especially you know i think both teams uh you know Giannis also obviously was swarmed uh, for much of this game um i thought i thought there was that one play i think i don't know if it was in the fourth quarter or the third quarter where i think bledsoe was like on the like had picked the ball up and was on the baseline and shoveled the ball to Giannis, who was like kind of coming down the lane and like it's mm-hmm. it seemed like the kind of play where Giannis is like oh he's gonna dunk this and Siakam managed to like recover and challenge a shot and Giannis had to like totally like midair adjust and you know corkscrew and ended up missing a shot and you know that was more of like an individual type challenge where it was like okay that's like the ideal thing that Siakam can do against Giannis but for the most part it was just I think they just showed a lot of bodies and 
I think certainly in the fourth quarter, like we saw Giannis when they had more of a clear kind of clear out type lane situation for him, where it seemed like the Raptors were going to try to stay home on shooters. Um, Giannis was looking to attack every time and, um, you know, obviously didn't have a, a big fourth quarter scoring wise, but um, made good decisions when they kind of helped late. And um, with the exception of that one play where he got stripped and they went the other way with it, um, you yeah. know, I thought generally it looked like he was going to be able to do some things. Um, so, you know, as, as we've said, I mean, even if you quote unquote stop Giannis for one game, or you maybe bottle him up in one game, doing it like consecutively, you know, it's really hard to do that against Kawhi. It's really hard to do that against Giannis. You know, I don't think Kawhi is going to pull a Kyrie Irving this, this series. And, you know, obviously Giannis is, we expect him to play at a, at a really high level too, game after game. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and again, we don't have a, a huge playoff sample to work off of, but I, I do believe at some point, Giannis, I don't want to say flips a switch, but fully understands when and where he can attack and when and where he will need to kick out and like how he will find a balance there. And, you know, like last night, he, uh, I don't, he wasn't timid or anything like that, but like he would, he would get to spots where I think most of the time you'd think like, oh, he's going to keep going or he's going to go a little bit deeper. And instead he would kick it out, which, it's totally fine. Uh, like making the right decision is, is, you know, often a great idea, but I do think we saw it against the Celtics. You know, he, once he gets into a series, he really feels out those spots and he kind of knows. And then all of a sudden it's world destroyer Giannis rather than like making the right play Giannis. And I think we'll see, you know, a slight turn up of that a little bit tomorrow where, uh, in game two, you're going to see him attack a little bit more, maybe get a few more dunks. And then I think as you get to game three and game four games on the road, I, I think those will end up in the games where he kind of understands like, Hey, my role players aren't going to be as good on the road. So this is when, this is when you need like the, the Herculean effort. This is when you need me to play 39 minutes. Like I did in game three in Boston and kind of just, win this game for us like that that's the night you need it um so i do think we'll see a little bit more of that uh going forward i think you good um, i think the only thing i'd add um i think one of the reasons why Giannis was bottled up was because they really i mean they showed enough help and they really like like i think it i think it was game three in boston where he had just like a ton of spin moves like he got younger younger Mm -hmm. smaller guys on him and when he gets those smaller guys on him and he kind of goes in to one side and usually then he's spinning back sort of to his well it's he ends up going to the right but he sort of spins off his left side sort of um yeah. he's he covers so much ground and he's like shielding you with his body that it's just so hard for little guys to do anything with it and i thought you know one thing he really didn't have i think maybe a couple times he sort of tried to do it and ended up um having to either pass out or turn the ball over was um they kind of crowded him enough they didn't have really angles to use the spin move and I, I'll be curious, you know, again, Giannis always adjusts uh, and there are things you can do just in terms of, you know, where your teammates are on the floor. Obviously, um, if you spin towards the side where there's, you know, only one health defender rather than two, probably going to have a better chance of, of blindly spinning that way and not getting stripped or, or hit. Um, I would guess more wing attacks as well. He yeah. attacked primarily from the middle of the floor in game yeah. one. Uh, those exact situations you're talking about. Yep. Those exist on the wings. So 
Um, I, I would agree. That's a good, that's a good point. And, Frank. and I, I think, I think the only other thing I, I'm curious for is I'm curious if, I mean, I feel like we've seen like two games now all season where Brooke Lopez really did a lot of damage inside the, the like third quarter of that one, the last Hornets home game where he scored. I think that was his, that was his 28 point game. And then uh, obviously this night where again, it wasn't like they were just posting him up or something like that. He was kind of doing a lot of like, you know, off the dribble attacks and putbacks and things like that. But I am curious. I mean, we saw, I think over the course of the season, Brooke rolled to the rim more, you know, versus always popping. Um, like they tried to use him attacking the the paint on, on, you know, actual pick and roll plays more uh, and using that kind of big size and just, I feel like Middleton was good at just like throwing the ball up near the rim and, and letting Brooke finish. Um, so I'm curious yeah. if, if this is, again, given that it was, you know, sort of spawned by more ingenuity than sort of real like tactical intent. It's not like they said, oh, hey, let's get Brooke inside on a post or something. I'm curious, though, this is kind of something I've been wondering all season and, and certainly into the playoffs. Like, you know, if the Bucks do run into any hurdles uh, or any challenges to get offense going, especially with Giannis off the court do you look to try to get Brooke Lopez more active around the basket, especially given that, you know, he so often has a, has a pretty big size advantage or, you know, again, maybe if they make an adjustment and put, um, again, I don't think putting Gasol on Giannis is, is an answer. Um, they could put Siakam on, on, uh, on Lopez if they were really worried about him, or they could put Danny green on, on him or something like that. Right. I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but I, it'll be interesting to see just like Brooks role moving forward. I mean, I, I'd be surprised if he has another game as big as this one um, for obvious reasons. But uh, again, like he, he's such a talented guy. And the thing that it kind of annoyed me, it kind of was like, it's like people almost like forgot that Brooke Lopez was like a 20 point per game score in this league, you know, like, like, Oh, where did this come from? Like, it's like, okay, well, I know he's like a three point shooter now, but you know, he, he can, he's still a really talented big dude who, if he's around the basket, should be able to score. So I don't know. The other thing I was thinking about too was like, I know it ended up being the Brook Lopez game because he got 29 points, but it was like, okay, so we're surprised that this dude that's always shown an ability to finish around the rim, finish around the rim. And then we're also impressed that this dude that routinely shot double digit threes in a game, like hit four of them. Like that's... That's the that's the outlier we're talking about. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it, it was all kind of weird to me. And again, like it deserves to be the Brook Lopez game. That's a career playoff high. Like I'm not trying to say that, but the things that he did didn't necessarily surprise me. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I mean these are things he should be able to do. I mean, if you could, you could probably criticize Mike Budenholzer for maybe not using this stuff enough as a change of pace, right? Not using kind of Lopez's yeah. inside game enough over the course of the season. And again you win 60 games, finish with the best record in the league. Like, you know, you're nitpicking at this point to say they're like, Oh, you, you didn't use this guy. Right. Um, <laughs> but certainly, I mean, it's an option that, you know, I think if, if there's one sort of offensive skill set that was untapped this year, I can't really think of any, anybody who's as good at anything that wasn't used much as Brooke Lopez, you know, around the basket in the post, et cetera. Um, yeah. So again, the kind of post-ups are sort of antithetical to what the Bucks do, unless it's, you know, Giannis or Chris uh, and Chris is, was almost kind of a begrudging thing after sort of the early season issues that, that him and, and Bud had. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's definitely one of those things that shouldn't, shouldn't shock us. All right. That's going to be it for us for today. So we will, uh, we'll again have you, what are you, what are you thinking? Are we going to wait until Saturday to record Frank or what do you, when is game three? Game three is Sunday. We go, oh. 
we go every other uh, in this series. Let's play it by ear. Okay. If I, here's here's the reality, if they win, I'm going to be excited, and I'm going to podcast Friday night. Okay. That's how. <laughs> I, I hope I hope there's a podcast waiting for you by like you know midnight on Friday night because that means that I was really jazzed up to talk about the Bucks winning a game. If the Bucks lose a game, I'm not going to be that jazzed up to talk about the Bucks. I'm probably going to wait until Eric's available on Saturday and then we can talk about it then. How about that? Uh, I think that sounds, whether or not that sounds good, that sounds like what's going to happen. Um, so that is that is what we're going to do. Uh, that's going to be it for us for today. A reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Himalaya and you can get this show every day if you subscribe to Locked on Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app and an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Bucks. And a big thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the show also on the new Himalaya podcast app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. For Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Locked on Bucks. We will talk to you guys, uh, I don't know, some other time.